Welcome to the Dreadcast. I'm Donovan Dread. In this episode, we're going to hear stories from six different people describing their very odd and strange encounters with the supernatural. But before we get into the stories, check out dreadsarmy.com for daily news of the strange and weird. Now here's the stories. This story was sent in to stories at dread.army. Hey there, Dread. I'm enjoying your channel, and I thought you'd be interested in something weird I noticed at Los Angeles Airport. I drive an aviation fuel truck at LAX, so I get all around the airport and I pretty much see everything. Most days, though, I'm close to the terminal, refueling planes before they take off. One day, when I'd just driven back to the fuel farm to refill the truck, I got a call asking me to make an unscheduled fueling. They said the plane I was supposed to do next hadn't arrived anyway. I was told to go out to this hangar that I'd never been to before. Since we usually refuel planes at the terminal, I was kind of surprised. When I got out to this small hangar, I saw just one small regional jet sitting outside. I checked, and it was the one I was supposed to refuel. So I attached the ground wire and then the fuel hose like I always do. While I waited for the plane to fill up, I looked around and noticed there was another hangar, a few hundred feet away or so from the one I was at. That hangar kind of looked old, and it was fairly small too. Not big enough for an Airbus A350 or something like that. As I watched, black cars and SUVs kept coming and going by that little hangar. Instead of the mechanics and fuelers who wear orange safety vests like me, I saw guys wearing black or blue jumpsuits. I don't know, it wasn't just the outfits. Something about them looked different than regular airport workers. The small plane didn't take long to get fueled. I took off the ground wire, disconnected the hose, and got back into the truck, and recorded it on the refuel sheet. Once I finished, I looked over towards that hangar again. I didn't see anyone going in or out, just cars parked in front, so I decided just to drive by it on my way back to the terminal. I didn't think anyone would notice a fueling truck just getting a little too close to it. I don't know why, but when I got close, I decided to roll down the window. I didn't get more than 50 feet or so from the cars parked in front but I heard a banging noise coming from inside the hangar. It didn't sound like anything you'd expect to hear from a hangar. Not like a plane engine or a mechanic working on a plane. When I heard that noise, I pictured huge fists pounding on metal. I don't know why. I told myself I was being crazy, but then I heard a roar coming out of that hangar, like King Kong or something. I rolled up the window and drove away. I was sure something was going on in that hangar. When I got home that night, I checked Google Earth to see if I could find that hangar, but I couldn't see it. It wasn't on the map. It wasn't on the map I had of the hangars at LAX either. I mean, I could see if it was too small to be on my map, but why wasn't it on Google Earth? That was weird. I hadn't seen any signs on it indicating what it was either. I thought I'd try to get over there again sometime and see if I could get a better look at it, but our schedules are pretty tight. We go from one refueling to the next, and there's really no extra time, unless a plane gets stuck at another airport. Finally, one day a plane couldn't make it to LAX because of a mechanical issue, and I had an extra hour to kill. I had to go to the fueling farm to fill the truck, but I had enough time to swing by that hangar. This time, I looked at the hangar itself more closely. I didn't see any markings on it, no names of airlines that use it, no numbers. Just three cars were in front of it this time. One guy came out in a dark jumpsuit as I drove by, but he was hurrying into one of the cars, and I don't think he noticed my truck. After his car pulled away, I drove closer, 
I rolled down the window and heard banging again. This time, it sounded like a fight. I swear it sounded like two big monsters in there throwing each other around against the walls. But I don't know. Maybe it was something else. All I know is it didn't sound normal. The next day, I was really surprised that I got a break again. In fact, I had even more time because a bunch of flights got grounded in Chicago for weather. We were just sitting around with hardly any planes to refuel. When the truck needed more fuel, I headed back to the fuel farm with at least a two-hour break ahead of me. This time, I went to that smaller hangar that I'd first seen that weird hangar from. I thought if I parked near it for a while, no one would notice. I sat there and ate my lunch, just kind of idly watching the mysterious hangar. From that far away, there was no way I could hear anything, even with the windows down, so I just watched. Cars came and went, and then a plain white truck that looked like a big moving van backed in. The driver didn't get out. I wondered if they were loading something into the back. A few minutes later, another truck just like it backed in. I was going crazy wishing I could see what they were doing, but the way that they were backed in totally blocked my view. Both vans pulled out after that. All the cars parked there slowly left. Once they were all gone, I drove the truck up to the hangar. I got really close this time and rolled down the window. I heard nothing. It was totally quiet. I figured whatever was in that hangar was gone. They must have taken it away in the trucks. I still don't know what it was. Since then, any time I manage to go by that hangar, it's totally quiet. But something tells me that they're going to put something else in there. I'm going to keep watching it and see what happens. This story was submitted on dreadsarmy.com. Hey Donovan, about five years ago, me and a buddy of mine decided to do a long road trip during the summer. We were just out of college and we wanted to go look around the country before we got tied down to a job. We wanted to travel around the U.S. and kind of scope out different areas to see if a particular state might appeal to us. We had spent our whole lives living in Missouri, and that was all we really knew. We spent most of our time camping in the U.S. Forest Service and Bureau of Land Management areas. We were driving my four-wheel drive pickup truck, so we could really get back into some fairly deep wilderness on the forest roads. After about a month on the road, we ended up on some land near Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park in Colorado. It was our last night in Colorado, and we were exhausted from doing a 14-mile hike earlier that morning. Colorado had been a real venture for us, with those incredible Rocky Mountains. There was an option of camping at the National Park, but that would have cost us money. We were still basically just broke college kids. We had found the GPS coordinates for a dispersed camping site online. That led us to the end of a paved road in the evening around 7 p.m. We came to this dirt road that went up through some trees and brush. It didn't look well-traveled at all, but that was how we tended to like it. Those out-of-the-way kind of roads had taken us up some pretty spectacular scenery. This dirt road made its way to the top of a hill that had some amazing views of snow-capped mountains. We didn't pass a car the entire way up. It was a pretty rough road, but my truck made it up to the campsite easily. When we got there, we sat in the truck, scoping it out. It wasn't the best site we'd been to, but it wasn't the worst either. There was no restroom of any kind, but there was a fire pit and lots of trees. But we also saw an abandoned couch and some other odd signs of human trash. It actually started feeling a little bit off-putting. The vibes were kind of weird. 
but it was getting late and we were too tired to look for something better. We got out of the truck and started walking around. We found some garbage bags wrapped in duct tape. I was like, this seems like a place that we would find a body or something. My friend agreed. Neither one of us loved the setting. We noticed a trail that seemed to go up in a circle around the top of a hill. We decided to check that out before we committed to staying. We found some more trash and what looked like old clothes, but nothing that made us feel like we should leave. It was getting close to dark, so we decided to cowboy camp instead of setting up all of our gear. That meant just sleeping on a tarp in our sleeping bags under the stars. That 14-mile hike we did earlier that day had really taken it out of us, and we weren't completely used to the altitude yet. Back in Missouri, we were at something like 500 feet altitude, and now we're up over 8,000 feet. We figured we would get a nice fire going and have a few by the fire. But even with a nice buzz going, we still felt a little uneasy. Every couple of minutes, one of us would shine a light into the woods. We kept thinking that we heard something, even though this was like our 30th consecutive night sleeping outside. It didn't exactly feel comfortable. But it was late, so we started getting ready for bed. We had our bear spray and headlamps ready. I stepped into the woods to go to the bathroom and walked in about 10 feet into the trees. I was standing there and I started hearing this sound of something crashing through the woods. I turned on my headlamp and my knees almost buckled. In the center of my beam was a bunch of bleached bones lying there in a pile. That, in combination with the crashing sounds, was giving me some serious panic. If I hadn't already been going to the bathroom, I probably would have went in my pants. I yelled out to my friend, get over here. I don't know why I just didn't run back to the truck. He ran over and shined his headlamp on the scene in front of us. That's when we started hearing this growling sound and smelling this horrible garbage smell, like really rotten garbage. We were kind of just mesmerized by the sight of those bones, and we kept angling our headlamps back and forth to try to illuminate the trees as much as we could. Then our lights caught sight of this demonic-looking face with a large snout. Whatever it was was just crouching there, snarling at us. Then, all of a sudden, it stood up on its back legs. It looked something like a giant hyena, about six or seven feet tall. The consensus between us was, screw this. We ran back to our camp and threw our stuff into the truck, and we got the hell out of there as fast as we could. We drove down that pitted dirt road faster than I ever thought possible. I kept driving until we got to the National Park campground. I never felt so happy to pay $25 and have neighbors nearby. It scared the bloody hell out of us, and we still have no idea what it was. This story was sent in to stories at dread.army. Hey Donovan, I'm a new subscriber, and I've been binge-watching and listening to your content. You're in luck. I've been wanting to tell this story but I haven't found the right place to do so until now. Ever since I can remember, I've had an interest in the paranormal and alien UFO phenomena. My ex, with whom I was with at the time of this experience, was far from that. Right out of the Air Force, she became a cop for a nearby town. Her father was a cop, and I believe his father was a cop. So needless to say, they were pretty thick-skinned. About 10 years ago, I was at her place in a small town called Pacific Grove near Monterey Bay. She lived right off the ocean in a short walk from what's called Lover's Point. Well, one night I was over at her place and we decided to take her dog for a walk. 
I hated that dog, and that dog didn't like me. But walk we did. It was around 8.30 p.m. Completely dark out, we started walking out towards the ocean, then down the roads towards Lover's Point. As you get closer to Lover's Point, you can see over across the bay, overlooking Monterey and Seaside. There's an Embassy Suites in Seaside, which is dead straight on as you walk up to the point. It's the tallest building on the city skyline. As we got closer to the point, I told her, wow, look at that star. It's a bright one. She asked, what star? I said, the one next to the Embassy Suites building. Right at that moment, I realized it wasn't a star. It was a plane, possibly a helicopter. We both stared at it thinking, what in the heck is that? The bright light continued to slowly move towards us. We could see the light reflecting off the ocean as it cruised right over the bay. We just stared dumbfounded trying to figure out what it was. It continued to come in our direction until it glided right over us, then banked left and glided over Pacific Grove, then Monterey, and eventually flew out of sight. This was massive. As it glided right over us, I could see it was triangular-shaped, with round lights emitting from the bottom. They were symmetrically oriented under the craft. It had a triangular tail wing to it, with round lights shooting out of the back. It must have been five or six hundred feet above us, and it was huge. The whole time we're watching it, I could still hear the waves crashing down the hill, about 80 feet away. So this thing was silent. Absolutely no noise. Now, I'm a believer, but my ex wasn't. And she kept saying, whoa, what is that? Wait, what is that? I had just bought a new smartphone, but neither one of us were smart enough to pull it out and take pictures of this. It was jaw-dropping and stunned us to where the last thing on our mind was to take pictures. After it cleared the sky, we slowly walked back to our place in pure amazement, shock, and all around like what in the heck just happened feeling. The moment I walked in, I hopped on the computer to check out the local outlets or to see if anyone else called that in. She was still in shock. To my surprise, no other reports were made and I was checking on it all night and the following days. Someone else had to have seen this thing. It glided so effortlessly over the bay in the city. It was big. It blocked out most of the sky as we looked straight up. For it to be silent like that to where we could hear the waves crashing, it either was far higher than I thought, which would have made this thing a mile wide at least, or it was a silent flying craft. Far, far too large to be a drone. Plus, there was no buzzing sounds. Nothing. Completely silent. The following days, I thought, did that really happen? She was now a believer, and I finally got to see an unidentified flying object. Don't take my word for it. She has since married, which I'm not sure what her new last name is, but you can look her up. Her name is Jessica Smith, and she works at the police department. I believe she currently lives in Monterey. She wouldn't want to hear from me, but if you ask her to corroborate this story, I guarantee she will tell you the exact same thing I said. I've been wanting to tell this story, but wanted the right place to do so. I like the way you narrate and everything sounds very credible. Her and I don't talk anymore. It's been 10 years since we last spoke. She doesn't like me whatsoever, but I know she will stand behind the story if asked. Here is a rough idea on what this thing looked like. I will never forget it. I may be off on the number of round lights on the bottom, but you get the idea. 
It looked like something from Star Wars or something. It appeared to be smooth, but the light was so bright under it. It was hard to tell the color or any other features. Please let me know if you need any other information. I told my wife this morning, this is the guy I want to tell my story. I'm sure you get a lot of emails, so I completely understand if this doesn't make the cut. You have great content either way, and happy to be a new subscriber of your channel. This story was posted on the forums on dreadsarmy.com. Hi folks, I live in the Caribbean, specifically the Dominican Republic. I'm going to share my first story here. One night back in early 2003, we had just moved into our new apartment. I will always remember that night for as long as I live. I was sitting on the balcony. We lived on the third floor. It was around 2.30 a.m. Eastern Time. The lights had gone out, but the night was quite clear, so to speak, since the moon which was behind me must have been either full or quite close to it. I was sitting on a chair facing north, when all of a sudden I saw this creature that flies by. I said, wow, this bat has got to be huge. The wings were pointy like the wings of a bat. It must have been around 250 to 300 meters from where I was standing. The wings moved graciously up and down, not like an actual bat. It was flying straight ahead, unlike a bat which flies, you know, erratically, so to speak. It lasted just a few seconds. I would say its height must have been similar to an average person's, and maybe it was around 25 to 30 feet off the ground. When I actually understood that what I was seeing was a gargoyle, I said, no way. No such thing exists. Boy, was I wrong. Such sightings are common in Puerto Rico and all over Central and South America. I remember when I was a kid in the 80s, such stories were pretty common in my country. People would tell tales about winged beings that would come down at night over rural and not-so-rural areas. Such beings would snatch infants away, but I never believed in such stories. My mom told me when I was 17 that one evening, when I was just a few months old, she heard the sound of some big wings flapping. There was this big tree in our backyard right outside my bedroom. Mom said she heard when the thing came down on the tree, and she already had heard stories of this back then, so she yelled at it. She was aware that it was there, and she was willing to kill the thing if needed in order to protect her child. That thing left and never came back as far as I know. But for as long as we lived in that house, I had no peace at night. I'm a realtor in Willow Springs, Missouri. That's part of the Ozark Mountains, and very near to Mark Twain National Forest. I don't know if that has any bearing on what I saw, mostly because I'm not even sure what it was, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's what happened just last June. My office got a phone call from a woman whose grandmother had recently passed on. She had inherited her grandmother's house, which was barely within the town limits of Willow Springs. Even though I'd been living here for 28 years, I'd never been aware of the place. And this is a very small town, with only a couple thousand residents. It was that remote, set at the end of a dirt road that wound through the mountains. The client was living in California, and she told me she wanted to sell the house. But she wouldn't be able to come to Missouri. She said she hadn't been back here in many years, and had no idea what condition the house was in. She did say it was a very old house, built over a hundred years ago, and might need some repairs before it was marketable. 
Basically, my first step would be to evaluate the property and let her know what I found. The lawyer's office dropped off a key, and I drove out to the house, almost getting lost along the way. It was set way back in the woods, and the driveway was unmarked, not even a mailbox. After passing it once, I backtracked and took a guess, turning down the driveway. It was only when I saw the house number on the front of the door that I knew I had found the place. It was in more of a state of disrepair than I expected. The client had told me her grandmother had lived out the last of her days here, but it looked like it had been abandoned for years. The roof was badly in need of repair, starting to cave in on one section. The paint was peeling and the steps were broken. There was a set of bulkhead doors on the side of the house, secured with a rusted chain and padlock. I made a mental note to ask my client for the key. I carefully picked my way through the tall weeds to the steps, watching out for snakes. We have rattlers here, you know, and this looked like the perfect setting for them. I fit the key into the lock and opened the door, not quite knowing what to expect. I actually was pleasantly surprised. Although it smelled a bit musty inside, the interior didn't look too bad at all. You could tell my client's grandmother had cared for her home. There were crocheted doilies on the tables and TV stand, and simple but pretty curtains hung in the windows, probably hand-sewn. The place was clean, no dirty dishes or trash. It was just dusty and needed airing out. I walked around inspecting the condition of the walls and the ceiling, trying to spot any issues that needed repair. Beyond the roof and exterior, it didn't look too bad. In the house, being quite large and set on three acres would no doubt bring in a pretty penny on the market. I figured I'd better take a peek in the basement, even though I was unable to open the bulkhead doors to air it out. A lot of these older homes have dirt basements, but I had come prepared wearing old sneakers. I found the cellar door in the kitchen, painted white with a black cast iron sliding latch on it. I slid the bolt, opened the door, and flipped on the light. The lights didn't work. I flipped the switch on and off again, but the bulb was obviously burnt out. For a minute, I thought of skipping the basement until the next time I came, but I wanted to be able to provide the client with an accurate home value. I went back to the kitchen and rummaged through the drawers. Thankfully, I found a flashlight. I shined the beam down the stairs. Yep, just as I expected, it was a dirt floor. The stairs looked okay, though. I swung the beam around a bit, checking for broken boards. It was then that I noticed something concerning. There were scratch marks on the inside of the door. Claw marks like the kind a dog makes when they want to get in. I examined them in the light. They ran pretty deep. The door would have to be replaced. Filing that information away, I started down the steps, feeling bad for the old woman's dog, apparently locked in the cellar. I was careful going down, not knowing how long it had been since someone had used the stairs. I had to stop several times when I ran into cobwebs to wipe them off my face. I was getting a little creeped out, but then I was finally at the bottom. The only windows were tiny rectangular squares set high up. It was pretty damn dark. I tried to focus on looking for foundation issues, but I was starting to feel uneasy. You know how if you have your eyes closed, sometimes you can tell when somebody comes into a room, even if you don't hear their footsteps. Something about the way the air shifts. Like the space you're in seems smaller when you share the room with someone else. Maybe that sounds crazy, but as I moved further into the dark basement, shining my beam on those stone walls and dirt floor, 
I had a terrible certainty that something was down there with me. My heart started to pound and I started to panic, swinging my flashlight beam around erratically, trying to see what it was. I knew something was there. And then I saw it. It was crouched up on the rafters, a dark shape as big as a man. My flashlight beam caught the yellow reflection of its eyes. And then I saw a flash of teeth. I said, holy crap, and I stumbled back a step but I was afraid to turn my back on it. It seemed to know that I had seen it. It shifted position, and I suddenly saw wings. Great, terrible, dark wings, unfolding from its body like it was preparing to come after me. I screamed and ran for the stairs. Unfortunately, I stumbled and dropped my light, but I was too afraid to go back for it. Thank God I didn't fall. I just careened on through the dark until I hit the staircase, and then scrambled up as fast as I could. I heard a noise behind me, and I was absolutely terrified knowing this thing was gaining on me. I took those stairs two at a time, praying I didn't trip again, and by the grace of God, I made it to the top before it caught me. I barreled through the door and slammed it, bolting the latch and leaning back against it, trying to catch my breath, and that's when I heard it, scratching down low on the door, just like a dog that wants to be let out. I ran from the house without even locking it behind me. I jumped in my truck and took off. I drove like a madman out of the woods, wanting nothing more than to reach town. Whatever that creature was, I never wanted to see it again. I didn't take on the account. I called the client's lawyer and said I'd gone out there and the front door was wide open. So I decided not to go in in case there were vagrants inside. Then I told him after seeing how far out of town the property was, I had decided it wasn't a good fit for me. I mailed him back the key. The image of the property still haunts me. And sometimes I wonder, is that why the bulkhead doors were padlocked shut? As a police officer, I can tell you we get called out on some strange stuff. But when something really unexplainable happens, it usually gets brushed under the rug. The higher-ups don't want us to get a reputation for being wackos. And I mean, I can understand that. But if more people were allowed to tell their stories, then all of this stuff could become less taboo. Anyway, it's nice to be able to tell a story about this here anonymously. I know that most of your listeners are less judgmental of the unknown. I've been on the force in one of the Salt Lake City suburbs for about 12 years. When this happened, me and my partner were working the night shift. We were called to investigate a suspected break-in at a morgue. When we arrived, the custodian was waiting for us out front. He told us that he had been mopping one of the corridors, and he had seen something move in his peripheral vision. He said he looked up and saw a person sprint from one side of the hallway to the other. He wasn't able to give much of a description, though. He said that he hadn't seen the person very clearly since they had flashed by so fast. It was just a dim outline, but it was enough for him to be sure that someone was in there. He had gotten freaked out and went outside to make the call to the station. My partner and I went into the building. We called out to anyone who might be inside, but we got no answer. So we began to do a sweep. We walked down the central corridor with our hands on our guns. We were going slow. We had to check every room on each side of the hallway. It was creeping me out a little bit, to be honest. I mean, I've been around plenty of dead bodies and stuff, but I didn't know what kind of individual we were chasing. Who breaks into a morgue? Every now and then we would call out for an intruder to show themselves. 
We were about halfway down the corridor when I got to a room with the light off. It was pitch black inside. I flipped the switch expecting to find the intruder hiding, but it was just the waiting room for visiting relatives. Then I heard my partner call out, Hey, stop, turn around. I got a big surge of adrenaline and swung back out into the corridor. I saw that my partner was pointing his gun towards something at the end of the hallway. He said, she went around that corner. The custodian was back by the door. When he realized which way she had gone, he yelled out, she's trapped. There aren't any exits that way. We were concerned that with the person being trapped, they might do something crazy. We had the custodian lock himself in the waiting room for safety. Then we started advancing down that hallway. We kept calling out to the woman to show herself. We made it clear that we weren't there to hurt her. I made it to the end of the hallway first. I had my back against the wall and I looked around the corner. I saw her. The woman was standing by a big gray door that was partially opened. The lights were off in that area so it was hard to see her clearly. But I could see she was holding a gun. She had long blonde hair. I stepped out from behind the corner to begin approaching her. But she went through the door and disappeared into the room behind it and closed the door behind her. I ran up to the door and pulled at the handle. She had locked it. I was banging on it and calling out to her, but there was no answer. The door had a deadlock on it. I yelled out to my partner to go get the custodian to unlock it. It seemed to take forever. Finally, the custodian came around the corner with my partner. When he saw which door it was, he just said, This door? Are you sure? I'm like, yeah, she went through there and locked it behind her. He said, that's the cold room. The door doesn't lock from the inside. I didn't know how to respond to that, but he found the right key and unlocked the door. I'm yelling, we're coming in, put your hands up. I had my gun ready and got inside the room. My partner was swinging his mag light to light up the corners. The custodian hit the light switch and the room lit up. It was empty except for some equipment against the wall and several gurneys in the middle of the room. All of the gurneys were empty except for one that was covered in a white sheet. The sheet was covering what appeared to be a body underneath it. I remember thinking how ludicrous this whole thing was. What a place to decide to hide yourself. I approached the gurney, and it was the smell that made me pause. It smelled like a corpse. I had been around plenty of them. I finally pulled the sheet down, and the woman was lying there. She had straggly blonde hair all around her face. There was no question in my mind that this was the woman I had seen by the door. I finally came to my senses enough to check the tag on her toe. It said she had died the day before. We just stared at each other in disbelief. I mean, what can you say? We had all seen her, and we couldn't all be crazy. You could tell how shaken the custodian was. He had been working there a long time and never seen anything like it. I swear it had to be a ghost. I'm writing to you today because I work for a temp agency, and I just left the strangest government job, and I need to tell somebody about this. Four months ago, I got a job working on a government project. On the first day of work, about 50 other temp workers and I walked into this huge empty warehouse. There were six men in suits sitting at a conference table, with a projector aimed at the wall. We were told to gather around the conference table to have a meeting before getting to work. One of the guys in a suit stood up and he gave a speech saying from this day forth, we were heroes. 
We talked about the children's lives we would be saving by working hard and sending pallets of much-needed food to the places in the world that needed them most. He went on and on about how every minute we waste is a children's life that could have been saved. He appeared to wipe a tear from his eye and left the room. I'm pretty sure that tear wasn't sincere, but it set the mood for the rest of the four months. We all worked like animals sending truckloads of pallets to the children in need. I worked as a forklift driver, and I didn't take a single break for the entirety of the time I worked. I would just take a quick lunch break, then I'd be back on the forklift and load pallets into the trucks to be sent off. The pay was pretty good for a temp job, but for a government job, it seemed to be absolute chaos. If OSHA inspected our warehouse, they would have shut it down in minutes. We didn't wear any protective gear. We didn't take any breaks. And we worked in a poorly ventilated warehouse without AC in the middle of August. We didn't receive any training whatsoever. No food or water was provided. I could go on and on. Every night after my 12-hour shift, I would be so exhausted that I had trouble making the drive home safely. But the pay was pretty good. About three weeks into the job, I got promoted to a management position. I was pumped because I got more pay. But I didn't know the first thing about how to manage an operation like that. The biggest perk was that they brought in an air conditioner trailer for me to do the paperwork in. The other workers looked at me with hate, but I couldn't complain. One day, a truck drove off the loading dock with a forklift driver still inside. The forklift fell off the back of the truck, and the pallet he was carrying crashed on top of him. I shut down the operation and checked on the forklift driver. He was in bad shape. He couldn't move because of the pain, and a bucket of chemicals that were in the pallet poured all over him, and his skin was burning. As we were trying to help get him out of there, all six of the suited men ran out to the parking lot. The one that did the presentation on the first day screamed at us for halting production. I explained to him that the forklift driver, we'll call him Peter, could have died and needs immediate medical attention. The suited man had a breakdown that I was undermining his orders and was selfishly putting my friend's needs ahead of the poor children's needs. I was speechless. He screamed at everyone to get back to work and they did. And everyone just ignored him and kept working. The suited men pulled out rubber gloves and picked up Peter and took him into my trailer. They locked the door, and I didn't see them for the rest of the shift. We just closed one dock where the forklift was blocking accessibility, and continued working feverishly. I had never been in management before when there was an on-site injury, so I did some research and learned the standard operating procedures to fill out an employee report injury form. Thinking I was doing the right thing, I filled out all the information, printed it out, and gave it to the suited man. The next day I went to my trailer and it was still locked. I knocked on the door and immediately one of the men pushed me back and closed the door to the trailer. I handed him the form and he immediately asked me how many copies I made. I just said the one and he asked which computer I used to make the form. I explained I used my home computer and he immediately took me to his car and had me give instructions to my address. We pulled up to my house and he followed me close behind. I went inside to grab my computer. He immediately grabbed my computer and threw it in his trunk. I started yelling at him and he gave me $2,000 in cash to get another one. My computer was only worth $300, so I took it. On the last day, I walked in and the trailer was gone. And the warehouse was almost empty. The only thing in there was a conference table and the suited men. I walked up to them and they handed me an envelope with my last paycheck in it. They said that the project was top secret and I couldn't talk about anything that had happened here. 
I agreed and I wished them the best. I walked outside and opened the envelope. There was a $20,000 bonus in there and a note that said silence. The temp agency has me working for a pest control company now, so things have settled down drastically in my life. I do often wonder what we were sending off by the truckload and whom we were sending them to. It wasn't food for children like we were told. It was some sort of deadly chemical, and I don't know who was ordering so much of it. I also don't like the fact that those people know where I live. 